Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, October 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out the latest in recovery efforts as Mississippians move forward in the wake of Hurricane Nate. We did not dodge a bullet. As Lee Smithson reminded many of us, a hurricane came ashore on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and we have been able to manage it. In our Everyday Tech segment, get expert advice on recycling your electronic devices while keeping your data and your environment safe. Then hear from native Mississippian producer Brunson Green on his new film, Walking Out. And state agencies are coming together to combat issues in mental health service management. Hear from the Attorney General on the new task force. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are trying to get back to normal in the wake of Hurricane Nate. The Category 1 storm's landfall on the Mississippi Gulf Coast brought a significant storm surge, heavy rainfall, and high winds to the state. Though the storm was not as strong as expected on impact, the storm surge was significant, averaging eight and a half feet. Wind speeds reached 85 miles per hour in Biloxi, and rainfall amounted to four and a half inches in the area. Officials began clearing debris and conducting damage assessments yesterday. Early reports suggest damage to structures, trees, and signage. MEMA Director Lee Smithson joins us live with the latest on the storm. Lee, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Uh, can we start with good news? I would hope, with all of the um, with all of the scares, there has to be some good news coming out of this. Well, I think that the the, the the good news, Karen, is is as the sun came up this morning across the Mississippi Gulf Coast, businesses were open. Um, you know, it is a federal holiday, so the banks were closed, but schools are open, and and we are seeing a relative return to uh, to, to normal uh, throughout the coast. At our at the height of the storm, uh, we had right at uh, sixty thousand. Uh, Mississippians without power. As of this morning, we're at 2,959 Mississippians without power, and we really expect uh, that number to drop uh, drastically through the uh, through the day. The majority of those without power, right at 2,500, are in Jackson County. So, uh, all told, um, it could have been much much worse. Uh, we were prepared for it, and I think that uh, uh, the fact that no one was was even injured, much less killed. Uh, really is testament to the preparations that Mississippians uh, across the state took. What about the low-lying areas in the back bays? Well, again, um, you know, in the back bays, we had uh, damage to piers. Uh, we had several boats that were, were, were broke loose from their moorings and were washed off. Um, but no, as of right now, no uh, reports of homes damaged, just outbuildings and piers that were damaged throughout the, the entire back bay areas across the coast. So, um, again, um, we're doing the damage assessments, uh, really started those yesterday afternoon, but nothing significant um, as of right now. Are there any roads still closed? Well, we, we've we got a couple of roads in Jackson County, and there are secondary roads uh, that were washed out uh, in the Pascagoula-Goche area, but no major 
uh, road networks uh, were ever shut down. Highway 90 was temporarily closed, temporarily closed to clear the sand off, but just very much secondary roads that have some damage. Yeah, I heard there was uh, sand on on a lot of roadways, a lot of sand. What about debris? Tree branches? Anything worse than that? No, and that's the tree branches, uh, remnants of some of the piers that did break up during the, the storm surge, but uh, nothing. Uh, no major debris out in the highways that has ca- caused any kind of closures. You said that uh, we were well prepared for this storm, and had this been the year of Katrina, we would not have been, even though it was a Category 1 storm. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. I think that when we look at what we used uh, federal uh, dollars for in the aftermath of Katrina, we rebuilt higher and stronger. Um, you know, we, we saw all the, the video footage of the water of the storm surge coming through the casinos. But, Karen, that is what it was designed to do. Um, so everything that, that, that was designed to mitigate storm surge worked exactly as, as planned. And, you know, you can't block the, the, the water. Uh, there's been discussions of a higher seawall. We don't need that because that water has got to eventually go somewhere. So with the, the elevated parking structures along the coast, the green spaces along the coast, um, everything functioned as as it was designed to do. And in Jackson County, we did see an 11-foot storm surge uh, and with, with very negligible damage. So it just, again, it's testament to, to how Mississippi used the billions of dollars that we got from the federal government to rebuild after Katrina. And certainly, I would never compare Hurricane Nate to Katrina at all. But what I'm saying is our first real landfall in Mississippi of a hurricane since 2005. Everything worked the way we had hoped and designed it it, it to work for. So very, very happy. It has to be uh, heartening to know, too, that President Trump has agreed to the state of emergency. So that means some federal dollars coming to rehabilitation? Well, what President Trump agreed to is a pre-landfall declaration, and that just allows for direct federal assistance, namely for FEMA to be able to pre-deploy down and then to pay the cost for the state assets and local assets to prepare for landfall. So at this point, we do not have a presidential disaster declaration for the Stafford Act. We've got to do our damage assessments over the next two or three days to see if we meet the federal threshold of $4.5 million to the infrastructure before we can get a presidential declaration uh, for after landfall. So we're not there yet. Uh, and, And quite honestly, I'm not real sure we'll get there, but I don't want to say one way or the other until we finished all the damage assessments. Sure. Uh, Apparently there were some people who reported not knowing that they lived in low-lying areas. Had you heard that? And and what is the lesson learned there? Well, I I have not gotten any reports of people reporting that they didn't know that they lived in low-lying areas. But I will tell you that all three of our coastal counties have done an incredible job of remapping uh, really two times since Katrina. We've had uh, new flood maps uh, that have been redrawn. Uh, and so anyone who owns property and has a mortgage down on the coast, they certainly know whether they're in a special flood hazard area. Um, so th- that is news to me, but I can tell you that our county emergency management directors are very, very good. They all have floodplain managers. They're good about letting people know exactly what the elevations are of where they live. Final question for you. With your new app, do you have any follow-up information well, it. with our new app, I think it, it 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 functioned exactly as we wanted it to. Uh, we were able to uh, to reach. 
through our social media, through our app, uh, well over a million people uh, through through all, all of our postings. And so, again, the better informed people are, the better decisions they make. And the fact that, Karen, we didn't have a single Mississippian even injured by this storm is testament to the to the to the messaging that MEMA did, the governor did, and that the counties did. So I, I'm very happy with 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 the entire message, including the way our app functioned. Good news indeed, MEMA Executive Director Lee Smithson. Thanks you. Thank you so much, Lee. Karen, it's my pleasure. Governor Phil Bryant spoke at a press conference yesterday, commending emergency officials and first responders. He says the weather event should not be taken for granted. Let's not uh, underestimate what happened in the early morning hours uh, of Sunday morning as a uh, Category 1 Hurricane 8 came on shore uh, uh, with some in excess of 70-mile-an-hour winds, a 10-foot surge. Uh, Some damage has been done, uh, particularly into some of the individual homes that are on the bay and in the area where the surge uh, caused most of the primary damage, we will be assessing that. Uh, We are extremely fortunate. Uh, There has been no loss of life uh, due to the storm. Now, uh, that is because of the highly trained and dedicated individuals, that some of which you have seen in the last week in this room and other emergency management headquarters throughout the lower six counties. Now, this does not happen just by accident. If these individuals had not been leaning into this storm, if we had not been prepared, if decisions had not been made, not only by the professionals that have been responding to this storm, but by the citizens of the Mississippi Gulf Coast, uh, I am extremely proud of the people who live here, who understand what this storm could have done, who, who paid attention as we called for them to leave, who listened to us as a curfew uh, was put into place. I want to thank the casino resorts for closing at 5 p.m. I talked to Alan Godfrey, executive director of the Gaming Commission, on yesterday. Uh, we expected it to be 7 p.m. He suggested 5. Now, that may have saved lives. As you know, three of the casinos took on water, particularly the Hard Rock, which has a low area that is normally flooded uh, when we see surge conditions. So I want to thank them. The governor also recognized acts of bravery and public service. Early this morning, as we were on Highway 90, uh, we saw MDOT, the Department of Corrections, there, uh, beginning to move the sand off the road along with their city, the city workers who had shovels in their hands, physically clearing the debris and the sand off of Highway 90. Um, it, it makes you very proud, I can tell you, as governor of this state, to see those good public servants out there in the early morning hours preparing the road so that we might be able to get back to normal as, as quickly as possible. I want to thank DMR. Marine Resources, as many of you may know already, affected a rescue yesterday of three individuals who were stranded, who, as I appreciate it, were uh, in the water with life vests, uh, certainly would have been lost, uh, and they are alive today because of the bravery of the Marine Resources and their officers, and I want to thank them for uh, that hard work. All of it, the Mississippi National Guard uh, that was standing by and responding with the assets as we uh, issued an executive order uh, for the Guard to be prepared. They, in fact, were. We did not dodge a bullet. As Lee Smithson reminded many of us this morning, a hurricane came ashore on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and we have been able to manage it. Governor Bryant speaking on Hurricane Nate. 
Coming up in our Everyday Tech segment, get expert advice on recycling your electronic devices while keeping your data and environment safe. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with the Wilts Contraire, and today we're discussing recycling technology. So, Wilts, Recycling has been around for a long time, but most people don't understand the process, especially when it relates to technology. Well, the biggest thing we're trying to do when we're recycling technology is taking all of those components and the different chemicals and the different materials that are actually used to make these devices and reclaiming them so they can become other devices. One of the main things you're going to see in a lot of devices now, you see a lot of plastic, for example. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind with me is the phones that we actually have on our desks at our office. They are made of 100% recycled plastic. So they're actually reclaiming that plastic to turn it back around and make a new product. When you start thinking about technology, too, you're going inside and you're realizing there are circuit boards and other things that are going to have things such as copper and gold and, and other materials such as that that we really do need to extract out of them. So there's a big part of what we're trying to pull out of those devices. Now, when we want to start talking about the hazardous aspect, those of us with monitors, BM, the, the newer flat panel LCDs, or even the older what we call CRTs or cathode ray tubes, the, the, big, the big TV, you know, the old school TV looking things, those actually have a lot of hazardous chemicals inside of them. So in the recycling process, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to take those devices and reduce them down to where they're usable substances that we can properly either dispose of or turn into other products. It becomes especially sensitive when it comes to recycling technology because a lot of times those same devices actually hold data. Think about your old computer. If you're getting rid of an old computer, you may have done your taxes on that thing for the last few years. Well, your very sensitive information is still stored on there, so you want to make sure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. So we have a couple of extra challenges that come into play when we start talking about recycling technology. So what types of technology are used to make recycling more effective? Most of the technology used would revolve around actually sorting the materials that you're looking at recycling. Think about this. Think about if you were recycling a car. What are the different items that go into making that car? You have copper in the wiring. You have aluminum or steel. You have glass. You have plastic. You have the materials that are used to make your seats nice and comfortable. All of those materials become recyclable at one point, but you have to use technology to actually separate that out and make sure that the glass makes it to people who can reuse the glass and the copper gets to those who can actually reuse the copper. So sorting becomes vital to a successful recycling program. So what's the best way to ensure that your items don't end up in a landfill? I advise a lot of folks, especially in our area, to talk to the local computer shops and even some of your big box stores around a lot of them will take in old phones, old computers, just old technology devices, and they will ensure it gets to the right 
location. Another really good program that we take advantage of a lot, both personally as well as at work, is with our local Department of Environmental Quality. I know for us, they run twice a year an e-waste recycle program where anyone in the community can actually bring these e-waste items, be them old computers, old printers, old telephones, what have you, to them, and they will ensure that they get to the proper location to be properly recycled, properly disposed of. That even includes that hazardous material potentially in your, your monitors and such. The thing you want to do prior to utilizing any of those programs or taking your technology anywhere else for someone to dispose of is to make sure that your data is destroyed. A lot of times I advise folks to not bring the hard drive along with them whenever they're recycling their computer. The best way to make sure that your data is destroyed on those items is to make sure that it is just physically destroyed. You know, as funny as it may sound, I've actually advised quite a few people and have done this myself to take a hammer to your hard drive and just make sure that it's physically smashed to make sure someone's not recovering that data. Why is recycling so important to our environment and our state? Well, it's going to be always an important aspect of what we do because recycling is really becoming that much more important to make sure that we're not just filling up the landfill full of old TVs and old computers, but actually that we're utilizing it properly, that we're reusing it, and we're getting the most life back out of it, and we're leaving this world a much better place for our kids. We will talk more about recycling technology on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians are making strides in the film industry. Annual celebrations across the state are celebrating artists in the art form with screenings and festivals. They also push for the production of more movies within the state. Native Mississippian and movie producer Brunson Green is traveling the state with screenings of his film, Walking Out, also known for his work on the movie The Help. He tells us how Walking Out came his way. Walking Out is um, one of the best scripts I've ever read. I I, um, was looking for material after the blur of The Help, which was basically a three-year process all the way to the end of the Oscars. And so it took me a while to kind of dig around and start reading books and, and scripts. And then what happened was I was at a Christmas party at my childhood next-door neighbor's house. An old friend of mine who's a filmmaker uh, named Alex Smith wrote a, the screenplay for Walking Out with his twin brother, Andrew Smith. They wrote it for Rodrigo Garcia, who's a very accomplished Mexican filmmaker. And Rodrigo decided not to make the movie. And so Alex, just by chance at this Christmas party, said, hey, will you check out this script? It's our favorite short story as kids. We were randomly chosen to write the screenplay for Rodrigo, and now we, we want to try to make the movie ourselves. And so initially, I was kind of reluctant, but once I read the script, I was in tears at the end and basically knew I had to make the film. Because one thing that's I love about movies and just kind of the experience itself is when it breeds empathy, I think, in people, and you see a different perspective of people's lives and experiences and one thing that you get from this movie is you realize it's so simple to communicate your feelings and your love for your parents or for your children, but people, for some reason, aren't able to do it. So 
I hope that when people see this film, it kind of gets them in the mode to like, hey, let me pick up the phone or let me go see my parent. Let me tell them how important they are and how much I love them. Can you tell us a little more about the plot? The story is about Cal and David. Cal is a Montana lawyer whose son lives in Texas with his mom and his stepfather, and they really don't have any relationship anymore. So, um, So he comes once a year on Thanksgiving to see his dad reluctantly. And his dad is trying to instill his knowledge of Montana and Montana life and, and what his life is about. But, he, can, you know, they have trouble communicating with each other because, you know, David's a teenage kid who has his phone in his face playing video games. And eventually they start to bond and really communicate. And then a horrible event happens with some wildlife, which you can, if you watch the trailer online, you can kind of see what's going on. And the roles reverse and his father's injured and then David decides to carry his father out of the wilderness to safety in the process. He becomes a man and they basically resolve their differences. We're all going to rush to the, to the web to watch the trailer after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a phenomenal movie. I mean, we're 88% Rotten Tomatoes. It's a major thumbs up. It's, it's rare to have um, a film that has uh, such a high score. So we're really excited about that. And you are going to have it at Crossroads. So in terms of a Mississippi premiere, Crossroads would be it. We're screening at in Oxford on the 9th to benefit the Oxford Film Festival. And then we're screening at uh, Crossroads on the 11th in, in Madison at, Be- the, at the Grandview. Who's in the film? I hadn't asked that. Cal, who's our lead, is played by Matt Bomer, who most people know um, from White Collar Magic Mike. He won the Golden Globe for... Best actor in the normal heart. And then we actually cast the kid first, who's Josh Wiggins, who's from Houston, Texas. I saw him in this film called Hellion that was at Sundance a few years ago. And it's harder to cast kids than adults. And so when I saw this kid, he was amazing. I basically stalked him a little bit at the South by Southwest Film Festival and told him he had to read the script. And uh, he immediately signed on. And then Bill Pullman also plays a, a small role as uh, Matt Bomer's dad. The movie is called Walking Out, and we've been speaking with its producer, Brunson Green. Brunson, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Walking Out will be screened in Oxford today as part of the Oxford Film Festival. It will run again in Madison on Wednesday and benefit the Crossroads Film Society. In other news, a new Mississippi task force brings experts together to meet the challenges facing families whose loved ones have a mental illness. As MPB's Desiree Frazier reports, the goal is better training and reducing red tape. Handling mental health emergencies can be a challenge for law enforcement officers, according to Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood. He says often mental health episodes occur over the weekend, leaving officers with no resources or options except to put people in jail. Hood says they are coordinating training to help law enforcement identify those with mental health challenges and provide assistance. We're training the officers and the community mental health uh, people together. Uh, and so the officers have a cell number for somebody in, the, in their county of a community mental health worker so that they can get the person stabilized and and not have an officer-involved shooting. Hood also wants to make the process to commit a loved one who needs care consistent statewide. He says fees and filing requirements vary. A new Mississippi Mental Health Task Force assembled by the Attorney General is taking on those issues and other concerns. 31 agencies, including doctors, advocates, judges, and law enforcement make up the group. 
Melody Winston is on the task force. She heads the state's Bureau of Alcohol and Drug Services. Well, increasing access to services is the most important thing with our Bureau. So anything that can increase the access to services for individuals that need it for drug and alcohol problems um, would help help us. Winston's agency is under the Mississippi Department of Mental Health. That agency has had a number of budget cuts. Winston says they obtained grants to help them with funding services. Currently, they're providing officers with Narcan and training them to help those who may be overdosing from opioids. Attorney General Jim Hood says they're also seeking to cover the cost of some services through Medicaid. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Find out more on the task force and efforts across the state on tomorrow's Mississippi edition. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. At 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.